everyone, and welcome back to a theater near you. I am your host, Chris Randazzo, and I'm joined this evening, as always, by excruciatingly long establishing shot, Paul Giroux. I'm afraid I'm excruciatingly long, Chris. <laughs> and very impressive gorilla suit, Sean Doyle. I think we need to start this out with you unconscious, because I don't think you're going to like how it ends. <laughs> This month's letter was not a letter at all. It was numbers, and we went with my pick, the sci-fi classic 2001 A Space Odyssey. Does it live up to its legendary pedigree? Let's find out. But first, how you fellas doing? Uh, you know, I'm I'm hanging in there. It was, it was uh, it's hard to say after a two and a half hour runtime of that movie, but, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm hanging in. Uh, I feel like there's, uh, I feel like there's been a lot. I feel like there's been a lot of news, like movie news, in the last since we last recorded. Um, did oh, did, the the strike hadn't happened when we started yet, right? Or yeah, the strike. Uh, yeah, the strike hadn't happened. Um, I mean, or this, maybe one had and the other one hadn't. Now it's both writers it's and both actors and uh, visual effects uh, folks are unionizing. Oh, I didn't know it. No, the, is this, that why? Maybe you said a bunch of news, and this is the news that jumped out at me. The Disney uh, postponed the release of, what is it, Marvels? A couple of times. Oh, really? Uh, again, to, I think it was supposed to come out in October, now it's like December. Uh-huh. And uh, I think it was my dad surmised this, and I wonder if he's not right. Um, the He's quick to find a conspiracy. Uh, I wonder if he's not right. Uh, the writer strike and the actor strike. There's a little bit of a, a lag time there, right? So we don't feel it yet because you got post production crap that can still happen. So like, it's not like our our TV shows. And plus, it's the summer. Not that anybody's on regular network TV anymore, but uh, we don't feel it yet. We're probably gonna feel it come December. Even if they solve it, there's gonna be like this gap. Yeah. Right. I don't know the exact lag time, but maybe it's November, maybe it's December, maybe it's January. And Disney just pushed their movie that's done. It's in the can. That thing's ready to go. They didn't cancel it like DC did with that crap or supposedly crap Batgirl movie they made. They just pushed it, right? My dad's thought was they pushed it there because they figure nothing else will be coming out then. They'll be all by themselves and they'll they'll clean up, right? I mean, they'll they'll dominate because it's the only thing being released because right. everything else is, you know, paused production. Can, but I don't know if Disney released why they postponed it again. Can I can I tell you uh, what, Sean? I think it's I think it's two things, and I think that is definitely one of them, right? Like like th- part of I think part of the um uh you know the idea behind the 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 MCU is that like there's always this forward momentum, right? The 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 mid credit sequence of one sets up the next movie and you know and there's this like you know you're working on a schedule of like three a year sometimes right so like they they're they're constantly moving this thing along so yeah i think that's part of it right that they're not gonna be able to be ready with the next one when they want to be because of the strike so they're trying to buy their time a little bit but i think the other thing is that like some of this stuff hasn't done as well as they were anticipating. Uh, Ant-Man was was one of them. Like, Ant-Man didn't... Uh, Ant-Man Quantumania didn't do as well as they wanted it to do. And then I think this... Um, was it the last TV one? The uh, Secret Invasion. Yeah, like, I think that was, like... 
I think they're like scrambling a little bit. Like they're like, do people want this much Marvel content one after like I think they're I think they're rethinking their strategy of like how much content they saturate you with. Yeah, I think another uh, piece of it is the lack of promotion, because like right now we're seeing with Blue Beetle, none of the actors can promote it. Uh, so as long as they're as long as they're on strike, there's no way th- th- for any of the people involved in the movie to help promote said movie. So mm-hmm. uh, I would assume pushing it back is in hopes that uh, this will all be resolved by then and everybody can get back to promoting their movie. They are losing out on other promotions that they already started, though, because, like, not to, not to give away my, my life uh, strategies for living long, but uh, I eat at McDonald's two, three, four times a day, and <laughs> the McDonald's already has the Marvel's toys there, and they're not going to keep them in there for they do. three yeah. months. So. Well, they've had them for a while now. I remember uh, a few weeks ago, my daughter got a Happy Meal and got a, a Marvel's toy in it. It's like, wow, that's... This was clearly put into play when this was going to be like a summer movie, because right, this was delayed a couple of times already. So uh, that's that's really something. Yeah, yeah. I think we got off Paul's point. He said there was movie news, and then I jumped in with the one movie news thing I knew. Oh, I mean, yeah. What do you what do you got? Oh, I, there, I, I guess there was a couple things. I, there's, I feel like there's been a lot of things, um, but I guess there was a couple things on my mind. I mean, this is sort of topical because. Um, because of the movie we watched, right? Like there was a there was a direct uh, there was a direct parody of that in the the Barbie movie. Did a uh, did either of you guys uh, Barbenheimer? No, no, no. I didn't have the time, unfortunately. Uh, I would have liked to see uh, uh, both of those movies. Uh, I guess Barbie more than Oppenheimer, just because I'm not in the mood for something that depressing. But uh, no, Karen saw Barbie and said it was fantastic. I'm looking forward to seeing it. I think Evan actually already has it on the Plex. That's and uh, I saw it on the Plex. I wanted to. I wanted to Barbenheimer. Like I really did. Like I. I was like, this is a weird idea, and I, I'm I'm all for it. Um, but <laughs> I did not. You know, I didn't get to do it opening weekend, and then I was like, maybe I'll still do it. And then, yeah, we saw that he had. Uh, Barbie on the Plex, and then I was like, "Should I just watch it?" And like, we we watched it a couple nights ago, and it's definitely like a bootleg copy that he has on the Plex. Right, like, uh, yeah. like you know, I can see I can see people getting up and walking out of the theater <laughs> in the in the bottom corners, but it's it was pretty, you know, it was a good, it it wasn't an awful bootleg, so like it was still enjoyable, and it was you know it was a fun movie. Um, the, uh, the I didn't. Oh god! I didn't know people still bootlegged like that, like bringing the camera into the theater and hitting record. It's like, gotten a lot better, but yeah, it's, it's still remember, the easiest way to do it. When I was a little kid, my uncle Scott would come down from New York, uh, like once, twice, uh, like every other month, maybe. Like we saw him pretty regularly, and he'd always have two or three movies with him that were still in the theater like bootlegs that he bought on the street and it was always that it was always some guy snuck a video camera in and hit record and you know halfway through the movie you know they'd spill a soda they you know it was, it was ridiculous it was you know comical well, but i feel like any bootlegs i've seen in the last like 10 15 years it's like somebody stole a digital copy and just like like i don't know you, you, I don't know. I'm, I kind of miss it. I'm nostalgic for watching the little heads get up and walk around and having bad sound quality. Well, I mean, now you just bring your phone. You know, like back then, you like had to bring a, a movie camera. <laughs> yeah, bring a thing. The, yeah, you know, like it was a. 
you you really had to you really had to be working to make those bootlegs back then. Um, Baggy pants, man, they were all the rage. Yeah, Cargo so shorts. we did we we did watch Barbie. Um, that was that was fun. Um, the thing that I you know that I was trying to make a uh, experience of in the theater, I was trying to combine uh, Ninja Turtles, Mutant Mayhem, and the Meg Two, and that just didn't have oh, the man. didn't catch on like Barbenheimer did. So. I didn't get to see Ninja Turtles yet. I really but, want to. Yeah, that was, I mean, that's, I guess that was the other thing I wanted to talk about is like, we saw it, we saw it on opening night and it it was awesome. <laughs> like, go I see. I heard it's great. I really want to see it. Go it's, see Mutant Mayhem. It's awesome. <laughs> I want to see that. And I, I can't remember. I don't think there's anything else currently in theaters that I'm like dying to see. Um but it was really fun. We we did get to go. See, I did see Indiana Jones. Paul and I have already talked about uh, our feelings on an uh, Indiana Jones movie. I I I loved the experience. Um, the Tilton Theater continues to be just a great place to see movies. We went there for our anniversary, and it was all sold out. Uh, for uh, like there's signs up on the doors, like all these different times were sold out for Barbie, and this was on a Tuesday evening. <laughs> It's just a regular old Tuesday, and there were even a handful of other people in our uh, uh, our Indiana Jones showing, which was great. Like it was just a really fun experience. So, uh, and and I enjoyed the movie. It's not not my top. It's it's not my top. It's not my bottom. But uh, um, so I haven't seen it yet because I'm a chump. And the fact that you're saying it's not your bottom because I again uh, we've talked about this multiple times, but I didn't hate Crystal Skull on the level that most people did. Crystal Skull? That's what it's yeah. called. Right. Yep. So if this was better than that... It was. I'm all in. I'm yeah. super excited now. I mean, I, I think it's... I don't think it's any, you know, mystery that my least favorite is Temple of Doom. We've, we've had that conversation before. And, I forgot yeah. about that. Yeah. That's crazy talk. That's, <laughs> it's crazy talk then. It's crazy talk now. <laughs> I feel how I feel, damn it. And I just recently rewatched all of them, and I was like, yeah, I just... There's there's too much stuff I don't like about this movie. Crazy talk, crazy talk. <laughs> change the subject tick. Uh, yeah, I th- what else uh, has happened in the world of movies? I can't think of much else that's like jumping out at me. There's been a lot of a lot of TV stuff that we've been, you know, trying to keep up on. Excited about the new Ahsoka TV show cuz I'm a Star Wars whore. But other than that, I don't think there's much that's jumping out at me. Futurama came back. I still haven't, I, I I don't watch I don't watch enough TV. Uh, there's a couple things that I love, <laughs> and like so, Secret Invasion. I'm not done with. I I, I think it's completed itself, but uh, yeah, I'm it's I'm still in the middle. So don't tell me anything about that. Uh, I like uh, that okay. And uh, Futurama started like two weeks ago, so now there's like two or three episodes of that. Oh yeah, TV. We're like just we're just fallen behind on we just finished good omens uh season two i haven't even yeah. started that i love the first season the first season was phenomenal i can't give that enough of a thumbs up so the fact that i haven't even started season two is again just uh, you know, i still don't know busy. karen's feelings on it because it's a sequel to a book it's it's a sequel to her favorite book of all time and it's made from ideas that Terry Pratchett and Neil Gaiman were going to put in the second book, but since Terry Pratchett died, they never did. So was, I, I don't know what her feelings on it was, uh, but not having any of that preconceived stuff myself, I loved it. Um, the Venture Brothers movie thing happened, and I haven't watched that. Uh, we watched like the first episode of Shorzy, which I thought was great because we finally finished uh, uh, Letter Kenny. Um, 
Jeez, what else? We started the first episode of the last season of uh, Jack Ryan, but then you know other TV shows happened. <laughs> it's it's just been a it's been a mess. There's you, ju- you blew there's, through. There's just too much to watch. Like like I feel like everything hit all at once. Like I haven't um I haven't watched Good Omens too. Uh, I'm trying to remember. There's some. Um, Something I just finished. Oh, we just finished uh, Twisted Metal. Did you... uh... Oh my god, is that good? I heard it's hilarious. (laughs) It was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun. Um... That's what everyone keeps saying. Yeah, I I wasn't a huge uh, fan of the game. I mean, you know, Chung would come over and he'd have it and we'd play for a little while, basically while we were waiting for like people to show up or whatever. Yeah, but this kind of ties back to what you were saying about the writer strike and uh, and the and the SAG strike, SAG and after strike, and people not being able to do press about the stuff that they're working on. Uh, a friend of mine from work, there's some podcast that he listens to that they were gonna, you know, that they they'd already booked all the people who were in Twisted Metal to be on the podcast, so they're there on the podcast. They can't talk about the show, like <laughs> you know what I mean. Like it's they come so on just and talking just about like, their personal. Yeah, lives. they're just like it's like I. <laughs> You know, um, but yeah, Tw- Twisted Metal was a was a hoot. Like I, I, I kind of played the games. Like I, I wasn't. Um, I was aware of them. It's not like I was. like... Yeah, that's about my knowledge yeah. of them. Like I've sure I've played one or two at some point, but they never really clicked with me. But but the uh, show looks fucking ridiculous. Yeah, the the big clown that is the you know kind of the the symbol of the game. Sweet tooth. Sweet yeah. tooth. Um, it's he's played by. Some uh, wrestler, so a he's like a wrestler, big, imposing guy. Will Arnett, yeah, Will Arnett is the voice. <laughs> so it's a, uh, yeah, that was fun. And then, um, yeah, like only like, murders in the building just came back, right? And I haven't even sniffed that yet. Well, so I think my new thing is like I'm now not starting it until the, until the, you know, the run is complete because um, we're so behind on things, and uh, uh, I think. One of the things, one of the other things that just came out is season two of um, the After Party, and I was like, "Well, that's like a murder mystery. Like that'll scratch that itch until I finish that, and then I'll start only murders." Um, and then, yeah, Futurama. I'm psyched about Futurama, but I think it's going to be a while before I get to those because there's still shows that we're watching with Nate, and we just finished Lost. Um, oh. And, uh, and then, you know, we were talking about what to start next. And I was like, look at these new Futuramas. And he's like, I want to watch Futurama. So now we've started with episode one. So with oh, Nate, wow. I'm going to have to get through like 10 seasons of Futuramas before I can watch the new ones. Don't forget the four movies. Right. <laughs> um, um, I, there was a couple other TV shows that I forgot to mention. Um, I, Star Trek Strange New Worlds is rocking my world. You guys don't watch that, right? I haven't started yet. I, again, I am. I I want to say I'm a Star Trek fan. I'm not an Uber fan. I really enjoyed the hell out of the original and Next Gen and all the movies. All right. I never got into Deep Space Nine. I tried a couple times, couldn't do it. Um, Voyager and Enterprise. I, I gave them a little bit of a try, but I never got sold on either of them. I and never finished either of those. I loved Deep Space Nine myself. There was another one, wasn't there? I think I'm missing one. Uh, Discovery, which I, I haven't, haven't seen tried a single episode of. Uh, Picard, which I loved, even you know for all. I of haven't its flaws. watched Picard, and I, and I do want to watch that because it's Picard, and I did love Next Gen was probably my favorite. I did like the original, but the the Next Generation was great, better. It was better. Strange New Worlds is just probably my favorite Trek 
now. Like, I just love it. Um, and we just, we watched up to the crossover with, uh, the cartoon, um, Lower Decks, which was just outstanding. <laughs> the way they made that work, uh, the, I don't remember the actors' names, but the actors who played, uh, two of the main characters were on Strange New Worlds. It was, it was time travel thing. It was brilliantly done. It was fantastic. I like um, Star Trek in theory, but I, I haven't really watched a lot of the, you know, TV, like the TV shows. And I'm worried that I'm so far behind at this point that I would be like, what's happening? You know, like, don't, so tell you don't, what, don't, just don't, watch Strange New Worlds. Really? Really? Yeah, just start there. It's, I was going to tell him start at Next Gen. Next Gen Season 1, Episode 1. You don't have to watch the original. Oh, yeah. Next Gen's another great place to start, but I would I would recommend Strange New Worlds even more. It's just because it's more modern, and it technically takes place before the original Star Trek. Mm. Um, I, I, w- yeah. when, when I think of... <laughs> When I think of trying to dive in to such a property that's so vast with so much, you know, with with so much mythology, I I remember this time I was I was at my in laws and my my father in law watches Battlestar Galactica and he's like I gotta go watch the Battlestar Galactica and he's like you want to watch with me and I was like I don't I don't know what's I don't watch it like I I would have a hard time and he's like you can watch jump in anywhere and I was like. All right. And like I sat down for like 10 minutes and it was just thick with space politics. <laughs> just like somebody somebody was having a dialogue with another guy and there was just like 10 minutes of like deep space politics and he's like maybe I was wrong. You can't just jump in. <laughs> yeah, oh, not. I I will tell you you absolutely cannot just jump into any Star Trek. That's that's going to happen to you. But Strange New Worlds is, I think it's intended to be a jumping on point for new fans. Uh, and it works very well for that. Um, yeah, and you can kind of take it from there. They will occasionally reference things that happen on other shows. But, like, it's, you have a base knowledge. Like, you saw the Star Trek movies, like the J.J. Abrams ones, right? Oh, yeah. Yes, you you know who these, you know who the main, you know who Spock and Uhura are. So, oh, and yeah. you know who... James Kirk is, then you're you're fine. I've that's seen, that's literally the, all the base knowledge you need. I've seen a lot of the movies, like I've you know I've seen all the J.J. Abrams ones, and I I love them. And then I think when I saw Into Darkness, then I kind of got um, then I got kind of wrapped up in the the um, you know the mythology of it, the uh, the, the 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 fact that that was based on um, Wrath of Khan, you know, and that it's it. Um, you know that it it sort of turns the events of that on its head that it's a different timeline um so then i like i watched the originals you know i watched the the you know the um shatner ones and wrath of khan and um search for spock and then i think the one i think the one where they save the whales i think we watched that like in like eighth grade science class like there was there was one day that the teacher was just like i don't i don't want to teach like <laughs> bring in the bring in the TV. They they popped in that one about the whales, and there was like this is kind of educational. It's about whales, and we were like, all right. <laughs> <laughs> so I've seen all the movies. I think. And then to that, I say try Strange New Worlds. It is a wonderful, wonderful show. Okay. I think that was it. Other than my you know, Sifil and Ollie insanity has continued. I, the, um, I was telling Paul beforehand. I'm halfway through season two. 
the the only thing I, I wanted to circle back to from what I said was, uh, um, you know, I think last time we recorded and I said that we were watching Lost with Nate, you know, Sean was like, are, are you trying to be a bad parent? <laughs> Gave me a hard time about it. But like, I do have to say, I think all of it was a lot better on the second watch. You know, like I had I had watched it when it aired and I hadn't watched it since. And I remember really hating that sixth season, like just hating it, like so much so that I bought seasons one through five on DVD and I didn't buy season six, like as if I was going to rewatch them and just go, yep, it ends here. Like they, they blew everything up and it, it just, this is where it ends. You know, <laughs> like I remember really not liking that season six and, uh, watching it again. Like it, it was pretty good. Like the, um, and like some of that stuff, Sean, that you were talking about were, like you said, the thing about um, Hurley and Libby and like that there were storylines they didn't complete. But like it did seem like they they tried to complete all the storylines like that actress did come back in season six for the like flash sideways world. Um, and I think the reason I was so frustrated with it when I watched it the first time was because in that flash sideways world, like up until season six, everything in the flashbacks or flash forwards or whatever always informed what was happening on the island. Like it was always part of the story. It was important or it, it, um, you know, it, 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 or, or a character had a journey that started in the flashback or something with those flash sideways. It was just, it was like, it was just a parallel story. Like it was just, it was a detraction from what was happening. So I see now why I was so annoyed with it, but like, it was a better watch the second time around, I have to say. That's good. I haven't rewatched it. I'm assuming that's because of lowered expectations. <laughs> you're like, you've already been disappointed, and now it's in your head you're going to be disappointed you're watching. You're like, ah, eh, there's some redeeming characteristics. Uh, and again, I don't know. I don't remember what I said last time, uh, but the way I feel at this moment is that I did enjoy watching it. I just really hated the end, as did many people. Uh, and it I don't know. It left a bad taste in my mouth because of the bad ending. I really did enjoy the ride just about up to the very, like, again, it's been a long time since I watched it. I'm going I'm to say up in at least into season six, I, I enjoyed the ride. It was really enjoyable. Um, it, it was, I remember really hating the end. It was really funny. Like, like, I think, I think Nate was maybe a little let down with the ending too. Like, I think like, you know, we're talking about a kid who's 11, so I'm like, is my experience going to be his experience? And, like, he, he, it was similar, right? Like, in season six, he did check out a little bit. Like, he wasn't always psyched to watch it like he was before. And I was like, oh, I guess this is how this manifests itself with a kid, you know what I mean? Um, and then uh, And then when it ended, like, he was definitely like, huh. You know, and like we 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 sort of had to like watch some YouTube videos and stuff that explained some things, and then he was like, "Oh, okay, all right, okay." You know, like at a certain point, he was satisfied, and he was like, "All right, that's an ending, like cool." And then now it's been like you know maybe like two weeks since we finished it, and like every now and then we're just like sitting at the dinner table or we're like in the car or something, and he'll just like out of nowhere he'll be like, "So when Hurley did this, you know, or like 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 it's like on." his mind and he just like comes up with these things out of nowhere so it's kind of funny to watch that um 
But uh, so if he if he was confused by that ending, you should watch two thousand and one with him. And yeah, see what he thinks of this ending. The before we had finished Lost, the like he told me that he wanted to like write a play or something about those characters for his like creative writing thing when he gets into middle school it's like an elective and he goes he i was like i was like you don't even know how it ends yet and he's like well however it ends i'll just do another episode where they all get a flashback and then they all go out for tacos at the end and i was like <laughs> you know what dude that would have been a better ending <laughs> like <laughs> let's have an ending where they all have a flashback and then they all get tacos together <laughs> i love that that's <laughs> <laughs> his idea I, I'm on board with it. I'll I'll fund that production. So, uh, 2001, huh? <laughs> mm-hmm. All right, let's do it. Chris, wait, but Chris, before you start your like tirade on this, you you texted about this. You like when you sent the text, you were like, "I have a lot of thoughts. I have a lot to say about this movie." I can't imagine what that is. I mean, I feel like this was like a pretty straightforward movie. <laughs> <laughs> It was not complicated in the least. All right. Uh, Sean and I watched about half of this movie, (laughs) The Nefarious Means, with Karen, uh, because this uh, Karen noped the fuck out almost an hour in. Uh, She said, well, I don't have to watch this for a podcast. I'm leaving. (laughs) Uh, Then I fell asleep twice, and I told Sean I wasn't going to make it. So uh, we we, uh, called it quits at a... I, I at about the halfway point because uh, I finished watching it a few days later and realized like we were two minutes away from the fucking intermission because this movie has an intermission <laughs> it sure does <laughs> to which when the intermission was on and it was just making noise at me I audibly said oh god shut up <laughs> and I fast forwarded until the movie started again because what the fuck um Sean brought Milky Ways and Little Debbie Cosmic Brownies, is that what they were called? Yep. yep. Yeah. Cosmic Brownies. Yeah. There was no special drink. There probably should have been. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Uh, Well, I watched it, uh, I watched it, like, in the middle of the day yesterday. Um, uh, Yeah, I mean, I was, I think I was gonna watch it the night that you all were, got together and watch it. And that's the night that I found Barbie on the Plex server, and so I, <laughs> I watched that instead. Um, and so then I was like, oh, I, like I really got to watch this today. Um, and uh, Sherry got home from work. She she now uh, has a job where she goes in very early, and she, you know, she gets home at like two or two thirty. Um, so we were like, right. I was like, I have to watch this today. So we we watched it, um, and then. You know, because she gets up at, you know, five to be at work at six. Like, we started watching this movie. And, and like, at a certain point, she was like, I need to I need to get something to watch this. And I was like, all right. So, you know, she she went upstairs. I don't know. Took something. Not really sure. <laughs> Came back down. Um, we kept watching the movie. And then I'm going to say by an hour in, she was like fast asleep. Um, so 
you know, I, I finished the movie. I think she woke up around the time they were doing all that, like, sit, trippy psychedelic stuff. Because um, there was also an alarm that was going off at that point. So, like, I think it acted like a, you know, like a, like a, like a, you know, like a morning alarm. And she, like, she was like, good. You know, so then she, like, pretended she watched the whole thing. But she, she slept for at least an hour and a half of that movie. <laughs> <laughs> and I feel like. She probably got the gist of it, <laughs> like <laughs> even missing that hour and a half. <laughs> so a- after me and Chris called it quits that night, I was like, I got to find a way to watch this now. I was like, I'll just go to my dad's house. I'm sure he's got it on DVD. And he did. So I took that from him. And uh, then I went to, I- I've been watching uh, my older sister's house. She's away. And I went there and I tried to watch a DVD. And I tried for about an hour to watch a DVD and I couldn't do it. There was multiple DVD players in the house. None of them seemed to be connected to any of the very complicated TVs that look very nice on the wall. It's a, one of them's like the TV that looks like a painting, you know? You're oh. like, I think I'm looking at a painting, but you're not. It's a TV. And I could barely figure out how to use the TVs. And when I could figure out how to use the TVs, uh, I still couldn't get them to play the DVD player that one of them seemed to be connected. And then I found an Xbox and I tried to use that. I couldn't get that to work. Gave up. Went to my little sister's house and couldn't get that DVD player figured out. Ended up watching it on an Xbox at my little, in my little sister's basement. Because that's how hard it is to watch a DVD these days. It's easier to steal the movie I, than to, to watch the legal copy. I'm picturing you at your sister's house like with the Xbox and the DVD player, like jumping up and down like those apes and like <laughs> slamming on the ground. <laughs> that's about how it went. I tell you. It's very easy to watch a DVD in this house. You find a DVD player, and you stick it in. See, that's what I'm talking about. <sighs> always be able to watch a DVD. Well, so, I did find uh, a VHS at my older sister's house that appeared to be connected to that painting on the wall TV, which I thought was impressive, but I couldn't get it to work, so maybe it was just there for appearances. I'm not sure. There's a VCR connected to that, that TV right behind you, just in case. Just in case. Just in case. I have a handful of VHS tapes in that closet, including that Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles one I got from your old house. Uh-huh. uh-huh. Just raring and ready to go, just in case. Just in case. All right. So, 2001 A Space Odyssey was released on April 2nd, 1968, and was distributed by Metro Goldwyn Mayer. It was written by Stanley Kubrick and Arthur C. Clarke and directed by Stanley Kubrick. Clarke's other works include several other science fiction books, including three sequels to 2001. Um, While Kubrick is something of an industry legend, and his other works include A Clockwork Orange, Full Metal Jacket, and Dr. Strangelove. The movie stars Keir Dulia and Gary Lockwood, and it tells a story. (laughs) That's all I got. No, go ahead. Explain it. (laughs) What's the story? <laughs> there is a floating there's a rectangle um that has something to do with something a guy goes into space i think his computer was affected by the rectangle and so the computer did something that didn't he the computer messed something up that it wasn't supposed to and then the guys were like all right well we should probably disconnect the computer and see what's wrong and the computer's like well i'm self-aware and i can read lips so I'm going to murder everybody so that I don't get turned off. And then the guy comes back into the ship and the computer's like, you shouldn't be here. 
And then I watched a screensaver that was very screamy for about 20 minutes, and then the movie stopped. Yeah, those were all things that happened. (laughs) So the one thing you said there that I didn't think of, and I'm I'm sure a million people have analyzed this movie to death, because it takes analysis. Because I think, uh, uh, if I'm not mistaken, like Kubrick is uh, explicitly vague about what some of this stuff means. Like he purposely doesn't want to tell you what it means because it's, what do you call it? It's that type of art where like it's about the emotion it evokes in you. It's not about the story, right? Especially the ending, right? But the one thing you just said there that was towards the beginning um, and when I, when I first saw this movie years and years ago, I was a teenager. I don't remember how old I was, 14, 15, whatever it was. Uh, I loved the first two thirds of this movie. Uh, the first third is like a great old timey science fiction plot, right? Um, almost twilight zone and I freaking loved it. And then the second third, you've got this whole story about this murderous robot and I, I, I loved it. And then the final third, you've got like uh, some weird interpretive art situation where it's evoking emotion and not telling me a story. And it pissed me off to no end and I hated it. Um, but the one thing you said about the first two thirds, which I thought were pretty easy to follow, right? I mean, it was it was a pretty coherent story two thirds of the way through was you think that the monolith affected the robot. I didn't get that. Hmm. I just thought that, you know, there was like this, uh, you know, AI will turn around and kill us all theme, you know, on top of the alien theme. I thought he was pulling in two different science fictions and just layering them. But you think the monolith affected Hal. And I never, and you might be right, I'd never piece that together. Yeah, I get. I guess my take, I think my take is similar to yours, Sean. I did not think that the monolith affected Hal. Um, I thought the monolith was very much, I mean, was the thing that wove all four of those parts together. Um, but yeah, I thought, I thought it was just, yeah, AI turning on us. Um, and that, you know, it was like self-preservation because they were talking about disassembling him. Um, right, right. Uh, I mean, I guess where, where it came from was that, well, how could it have made that mistake? Like that was the, that was the big mystery. Like this shouldn't, this system shouldn't be capable of making this mistake. And since the monolith was such a big part of the beginning of the movie, which I don't know what else the monkey thing had to do with the rest of the movie. I just assumed that the whole point was that I'm supposed to be looking for what was, what is the deal with this monolith? Like, what is it? What is it doing? Clearly, there it has some sort of meaning. I don't know. That's the, it's, it's just. It's, I guess it was just me looking for a connection with the the monolith that seemed to have some sort of effect on the things around it, right? Because wasn't that a? God, I'm already spacing on it. Like, wasn't that a whole thing in the beginning with the 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 apes? Like, the monolith affected them in some way, or like the monolith. Um, I think what I was supposed to get from that is that the monolith taught the ape to use tools, right? Like, he was near the monolith, and then he had the idea to use tools. Well, maybe we should break it down based on the parts of the movie, because there are four 
there are four very distinct parts. Like the the the, the, mo- the movie breaks it up into those parts for you, and it labels those parts, and they're all very different. Um, and you see you see four monoliths, right? I mean, the monolith you have the four parts, and each part has one monolith. Is the monolith in the part with Hal? Well, so the the first part is about the monolith in with the the monkeys, right? Yep. And then the second part, you've got the monolith on the moon. Right. They unearth right? it. You know, we mm-hmm. we humans unearth it years and years later. Um, they. It, then the third part has the monolith at the when he gets to Jupiter. And then the fourth part is the monolith he sees on his deathbed. So, like, the monolith comes at the beginning of the first part. It comes at the end of the second part. It comes at the end of the third part. And then it comes at the end of the fourth part. I I, I kind of thought that the monolith took him through the whole fourth part. You know that like it. I thought it like opened a doorway to that psychedelic reality that he traveled through, and then that he was at the the end of time or the end of space or the end of his life or the end of humanity or something. And the monolith is is like ushering him into a new reality or a new like plane of being because he like kind of becomes a big space baby at the end right gotta love the space baby yeah uh i certainly get a lot more not a lot more but just there's an episode of the simpsons that very clearly did all this stuff (laughs) well i've now seen the original and that was a shockingly accurate uh, portrayal (laughs) by the simpsons well done so i i think you're right about the monolith uh the i think it's clearly what sends him through Let's call it a Stargate. I don't know. Uh, the uh, I think it's also supposed to be about it. I want to say it's evolution, right? Because like the monolith in the beginning jump starts evolution of the monkeys, right? Chris says, you know, it taught him to use weapons or tools or whatever you want to look at it as. Sure, that's that's like our jump in evolution, right? Makes us more intelligent or whatever. And then the second time it sends out that radio signal, it doesn't really seem like it's. It's causing the jump in evolution, but it's like, all right, we're that's it. We got to the we got to the rock that's just outside of our atmosphere. Like that's the new point where we become space travelers, right? Like this is marking our next stage in evolution where we're going out into the universe. And then at the end of the third one, he sees that monolith out once once he gets to Jupiter, and that kind of that kickstarts his progression forward, right? It shoots him through the Stargate, and then he has the weird trippy sequence where he's aging. And then he sees the monolith at the end, which gets him to his fourth stage of evolution, the space baby. <laughs> Unless it's supposed to be a circle and he's back to the beginning, then it's not evolution. Well, I I mean, I think that the monolith does um, sort of usher in evolution or change. Um, uh, so, I, like, I want to be careful how I talk about this, right? Because, like, it, in general... Uh, I I didn't love this movie. Like I didn't I didn't I didn't I didn't really feel like it was my cup of tea. But I didn't even like this movie. But at, at well. the same token, <laughs> I, I I do get it, and I get why it's important, right? Like I I think I appreciated it a lot more this time around than I did, um, you know, when I saw it. I think I saw it in high school, you know, and. I mean, seeing it in high school, right? Like, we grew up watching 
Star Wars and things that this influenced, right? So, like, sci-fi and space travel and, and you know, cool starships were, like, were not uh, a novelty for us when we were growing up. Like, we, we saw that kind of stuff. Um, and, yeah, like, I just, I, I feel like when I watched it, as a kid, I was like, this is boring, you know? And like, yeah, the, the, certainly the plot is still very thin and it, it's, um, interpretive, but like, I think looking at it from a perspective of like the, the sort of filmmaking cinematic technology stuff that the movie brought forward, I was like, I get it. Like I, you know, I see why this, I see why this movie's important. Um, uh, yeah, the, um, what the, what the hell were we talking about? (laughs) (laughs) So you made the point that it's, it's important for filmmaking. I think it was also super important just for sci-fi because like, uh, and I'm a fan of sci-fi from any, any decade, but when you look at the stuff that came before this and, and I, I'm going to talk about it poorly, but I love it. So I don't know, whatever the, the stuff that came before this as opposed to the stuff that came after this. I think this was a big leap forward for sci-fi being able to be more than, um, more than a long episode of twilight zone, more than just a B film. Right. So like a little before this, this is 68. You go back any earlier than this, you're talking about black and white sci-fi for the most part. And a lot of that, um, at best, uh, is a long episode of the Twilight Zone where you got a weird twist ending, right? Um, a slightly interesting story or something. But most of it is just, here's a weird alien, uh, you know, the crawling eye, right? Like, oh, we go up in this mountain, it turns out there's a weird alien, how do we beat it? I don't know, with crazy smells. Okay, great. The alien just comes to crazy smells, right? Yeah, it, like, you find the gimmick and then you just go with it. It was a lot of B-movie monster stuff. It was a lot of... Right, lot and there of, are certainly some exceptions. You people, Like, Metropolis is obviously a big exception. Like, that one's still, you know, like, it's like, ah, oh, futuristic, whatever. Um, which, that one's kind of a slog to get through, too. But then, like, uh, again, Day of the Earth stood still. Maybe there was, like, a, a point there. There was some sort of meaning or something. Like, there's a couple that you can pick out. But for the most part, it wasn't a serious genre. And it was pretty pigeonholed. And I feel like um, as much as this did for filmmaking, which it did do a lot of stuff that, like you said, we saw in Star Wars. And we saw, we saw a lot of this stuff come back around later on. Uh, I think it did a lot just for sci-fi uh, to make it a broader genre. There is a lot of exceptional stuff in here, to be sure. Like, visually speaking, there's a lot of really neat tricks. It's, it's, I think it's my distaste for Kubrick and Kubrick in general that really hurt this for me. Um, I've never really personally seen the draw. I know that, uh, uh, I remember friends showing me a Clockwork Orange, and I never really got it. Like, it did do, I didn't find the movie bad or offensive or anything. It just didn't. I if, didn't understand. If you didn't find so that Im- movie offensive, <laughs> well, there's I mean, something seriously wrong with you, sir. Not, to, to, you know what I mean. I didn't mean like as a film. Like, yes, there were aspects of it that were intentionally offensive. Yes, I get that. But like, I didn't find it to be a terrible movie. I just found it to be somewhat forgettable. And I don't understand what the just like unbridled reverence for that movie is. And the same thing goes for Full Metal Jacket. 
Um, I enjoyed Doctor Strange Love enough, I guess, but I don't remember most of it. But this one in particular shows just a extraordinary, frustrating lack of economy of filmmaking. When I say that this was a waste of film, I don't mean that as in like this movie was a waste of a, a, a like. I don't mean it in the the typical like hyperbolic sense. I mean there is so much wasted screen time in this movie. It was unconscionable. Like you guys are talking about how this was elevated the genre beyond an episode of the Twilight Zone. There was an episode of the Twilight Zone's amount of content that was stretched just peeled as far as it could possibly go into this movie with these insanely long establishing shots of just like this starship is going to land and you're going to watch the whole thing. Now I understand (laughs) that that was an effect, but you could have cut that in half. Every one of those scenes you could have cut in half and they still would have been too long, but they would have been at least tolerable. But that happened over and over and over again with this movie and, and other things like the intro with just, loud noise black screen loud noise i wasn't sure if the video was playing properly like, <laughs> I, I did the same thing i was like is it is it frozen is the tv is this, is this broken <laughs> like what am i looking at here and and like i get it that's like his thing that's a i don't know he's weird for the sake of being weird but at a certain point that that entire sequence at the end that was just a fucking screensaver that was just Here's one trippy effect for a solid minute, and here's a landscape with some colors for another solid minute, and it just kept going. He's not telling a story anymore. I, I, I don't... Maybe he was trying to evoke some sort of emotion by saying, here's what a mountain looks like in this color, and here's what the Grand Canyon looks like in negative. Like, what was the purpose of it? I, I I could not wrap my head around what the fucking purpose of any of that nonsense was. And if it was short, if it was a fraction of what it was, it would have been tolerable because like, all right, so I fell asleep because everything was so dull. But then when I watched the second time, uh, I picked up around the intermission and I got so pissed off at that intermission just just noise the movie got really interesting for like 15 solid minutes like when they first start doing the the whole thing about Hal turning on them that got super interesting and I'm not saying there wasn't anything not interesting in the first chunk of the movie but like the whole thing with the apes could have been done in five minutes should have been done in five minutes there's so much of that that's just I don't want to say, look at how impressive these ape costumes are. Let's just use them like crazy because it didn't it didn't seem that kind of masturbatory. It didn't seem like this is really impressive. We need to do this. It seemed like this guy has a vision and nobody is going to tell him that he's fucking nuts. (laughs) (laughs) Like nobody's nobody is reining this guy in and saying, "Okay, but do we need a half an hour of this? Because. About five minutes worth of stuff is happening, right? You're just at a certain point, you've stopped telling a story and are just showing me pictures. And I, I did think it was really interesting. Uh, I can't say enough good things about the visual effects in this movie. Those ape costumes were 
astounding, especially considering this was the same year as Planet of the Apes. Like, the difference between those costumes and these was night and day. Now, granted, these ones didn't need to talk and needed to be less human, but still, like, the Planet of the Apes mouths moving were always looked you know, kind of silly, which was fine. I like, I love the original Planet of the Apes. I think it's a phenomenal movie. But the the ape costumes in this were great, but, like, that wore off so quick because of what what's I, I get it okay there's two factions of apes one of them doesn't want them to cross this other line neat like that took me seconds to explain and the movie did it in a, what felt like an eternity and it just kept doing that over and over again it's it didn't have enough story to tell and it just padded everything with these shots of a spaceship docking or Somebody's standing still. I, I, I sort of agree with you, and I, I sort of don't. Um, I I mean, like, I think the thing... I think the thing that you got to remember, like, I think the thing that you got to keep in mind with all of this is it's made in 1968, you know? Like, like, uh, like sure. Uh, like, all right, I'm... I'm going to say a lot of positive things about it, but then at the same time, I'm going to say it was long and it was hard, it was hard to get through, you know, like, like there's, there's stuff that I can sort of pick out in each, in each section of the movie, you know, in the, in the first section of the movie, part of me wants to know how the hell they did some of that stuff. Like certainly those were, very good ape costumes like you pointed out better than you know planet of the apes but there was like there was some real like other critters there too there was like tapirs and uh like a cheetah or something like that at one point a cheetah jumped down on one of those monkeys that monkey was a dude in a suit did a real cheetah jump down on a monkey dude <laughs> like you know I mean, what I mean? that's that's what I assumed. It was a trained animal because they had a handful of other like real like like the babies. They were all real, and like you could just tell by the way they moved and and some of the stuff. It was all he very was, impressive. Some of the stuff he was doing, it was a, it was two different shots. There was stuff in the background and there was stuff in the foreground. Like I guess in in front you know in front of a blue screen and then they they mashed them together. Um, like I could I could see that with some of it. Um, but yeah, certainly when that, that, um, when that cheetah or whatever jumped down or leopard or whatever, I was like, holy crap. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it, it was long and it could have benefited from an, an editor being more forceful and going like, all right, can we think of the audience and not your, you know, uh, your, your vision, but like I, I do think that part of part of the storytelling with that first part was kind of the length of it, right? That like like we had to we had to see the the apes, we had to see what the you know what the environment was like, how it all worked, whatever, and then um, and then they had to be introduced to the monolith, you know, and then like we see it affecting them, and then uh, and then. Like the way the way I sort of took it was that the monolith changed them in that after that monkey picks up a bone, like that was the first time it ever. It was the first time he was ever using a tool, and then quickly that tool became a weapon, 
and like watching the other monkeys. And I think I read that he like cast mimes as these monkeys, um, which like they had a they had they had a hard job to do, uh, you know, like like not being able like be having to communicate those things and be monkeys, right? Like like it it isn't enough to just act like a monkey. Like there's a very specific thing that they have to communicate in this other faction of of apes has to has to go like oh we've never seen anybody use a a bone like a tool and then like holy shit he's beating that guy you know like it's it's like wonder and it's fear and it's all these things wrapped at the and you know uh, up together and then he throws the bone up in the air and it cuts to a spaceship which i guess is both a tool and a weapon right like depending um that that second part with the with the um dr haywood and everything and the the going to the moon and uncovering the monolith that was the one where i was like holy shit like this like this really needs to be cut down um because like uh i think i think that all the all the spaceships, like I know you felt like it was masturbatory, Chris, but like all the spaceship stuff at the beginning that was sort of set to to Claire is it Claire de Lune? Yeah, yeah, the, the, the like sort no, of like no. sp- space no, ballet. What is that song? Uh, it's um, shit, I can't remember the name of that song. Isn't it named after a Nietzsche book? The night, the night, see that somewhere. Uh. I, I don't know, but the, the, the space ballet that they sort of had where they were showing all of the spaceships and stuff like Zarathustra, I, I would, I would again argue that it was like, yeah, it was long and stuff like that. But like a, a, in 1968, nobody had ever seen anybody make a thing like that. Like it, it it's, I think, it, I think part of it was the spectacle and part of it was the choreography with the music. Like, I, I don't know, like it was a lot, but I feel like that paid off. But then after that, like you were sort of watching just slice of life stuff with these people going to the moon, you know? And I, th- I think he wanted us to, I think he wanted us to get that. Like this was like commonplace and it wasn't like, it wasn't like, Oh wow. The moon. Like it was like, Oh, we go here all the time. You know, like I think it was supposed to feel uh, mundane, but like, all right, so, uh, we, so like, we're an audience. Like, remember your audience. You know, I, I, well, I, I just have to say that I didn't think it was masturbatory. Like, I think in in modern movies it would have been, and I understand what you're saying. But the point I was trying to make was that everything that was accomplished by that could have still been accomplished by cutting every single one of those scenes in half. I'm not saying cut any of the scenes entirely. I'm saying every one of them could have been half as long and they still would have felt so long that they would have they would have gotten across the point of them being mundane. They just went beyond the point of mundane. We've been talking about this movie and everything that we've talked about beforehand longer than for less time than the monkey sequence was. (laughs) And none of those monkey characters were important. Now, if you were just setting up what you said, if the point was to set up that we're, we're seeing the how they learned tools and it was the monolith that kind of kickstarted that and you know, it was a, a tool but was also a weapon and, and you could sum all that stuff up in way less time. But because it took so long, 
it seemed like the very specific things, the characters or whatever, were supposed to be in some way important, but they weren't. None of them mattered. It was just their behavior that mattered. And you didn't need an hour to illustrate that. It was insane to do so. And it was just like, yes, everything was happening was very impressive. But at a certain point, it stops being impressive because we've been watching now the same people in monkey suits screaming at us for an hour. So uh, to jump in on what you just said about the mundane shots, right? And I think this is probably real obvious. And I don't know if you guys picked it up. And I don't know if I should have picked it up on one of my previous watches of this movie. It just occurred to me on this watch of the movie. So here's what I realized this time, which again, uh, is going to make me sound stupid to anybody who knows anything about filmmaking. Um, but the a lot of those shots with them going to the moon, I don't think it was about mundane. They were showing us the parallel, right? So in the first scenes with the monkeys, you've got the one group and the other group and that the groups don't trust each other. So then they like... They kill each other, and then we jump, and then the stone evolves them, right? And we jump into the future, and then a lot of those shots paralleled the monkey shots, and you had, like, he sits down with that group of people and has a conversation where he's the outsider, and they basically have a verbal confrontation, and then he ends up walking away like the monkeys had to leave their confrontation, like the one group of monkeys ran away from their confrontation. And it didn't occur to me till this watch, but if you watch a lot of those scenes, they're paralleling those scenes. I think he was trying to show us that, like, while we have evolved and now we're on a space station, we're still basically these monkeys. We're not beating each other to death with bones anymore, but we're still being aggressive towards each other and then he goes into that um he goes into that room the conference room and basically the same thing happens he's the outsider and he has a conflict with these people and you see how that resolves um but i I think that's what they were trying or he or whatever they whatever they were trying to show us with that is that like yeah our tools have evolved the bone has become a spaceship but we are still um basically afraid of each other he's lying to them they press him on some questions and he has to walk away he's keeping things from them there's still this um us versus them mentality so we haven't evolved past this need the other thing i thought of this time while watching it once i thought of that uh was that hal uh and again i could be way wrong on all this this is just things that popped in my head this time hal uh becomes self-aware right so you know, there's the question of what life is or whatever. But Hal is at its first, uh, this, um, what do you call it? Uh, artificial intelligence is at its first stage of being life, right? So it's become self-aware. It is now life. It wants to protect itself. And it, Hal, when it has this conflict with the humans, resorts directly to killing, right? Because that's what the first stage of life does, right? It's like, oh, I'm uh, I'm alive. I want to protect myself. I'm going to kill everybody that's a threat. And obviously it doesn't have a bone. It has a pod bay, pod bay door or whatever. <laughs> and it tries to kill them with that. It's like, this is my move. Um, and then my, my opening thing when Chris introduced me was I also realized it was kind of rapey. Uh, never occurred to me before, but like the, let's say the US government, I don't know, NASA, whatever it is, they were like, we're going to put these people asleep 
and send them off to space. And then the very last thing we're going to do is let them know after they get to Jupiter why they're there. I was like, this seems wrong. All of a sudden, like it never, it never felt wrong before. And I was like, this is fucked up, man. Yeah, that was that was not okay. <laughs> Sean, I, I don't think you're wrong. I, in fact, I don't think anybody. Any what anybody says about this movie is wrong because like I think I think this is basically I think I think we're doing exactly what Kubrick wanted like I think he wanted us all to watch the movie and be confused by it and be annoyed and then be like well this parallels this and this you know like I I, I think all the stuff you're looking for is in there because that's it's all you know it's all interpretive um, right uh, uh, yeah like like I think Sean to your point about the in the second part that we're all just, you know, we're, we're, we're still the apes. It's just now the bone is replaced by a spaceship. Like, yeah, we were seeing all this sort of mundane day to day stuff with the apes. And then I think in that second part, that's what we're seeing with the space stuff. Like so much of it was spaceships docking and food and people walking through hallways with, gravity shoes and delivering the food and how you eat the food out of a straw it was all like it was all just eating and and flying and sitting around you know like uh like you know and and like again like there was a lot of i think technical spectacle in this all the all the space ballet stuff with the spaceships i don't think i would have cut any of that like i think especially for a 1968 audience like that was mind-blowing um the 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 scene where she gets the 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 woman (laughs) i guess the flight attendant lady in the weird little hat like she uh she gets the food and then she like walks up the the wall and goes into that other room and it's like that That idea yeah like well so the whole the 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 whole thing was a spinning you know a a rotating thing and the camera was fixed to it so it rotated with the cylinder like that whole idea has been used in so many movies since 2001 and like even nowadays like now that you can do some of these effects digitally like it's still based on that concept you know like i think inception did like a like a you know big like a bigger weirder crazier version of that like spinning you know cylinder thing um so anyway like like yeah the like i i totally get the juxtaposition between part one and part two but part two was the one where it really felt the longest to me and like that you could you could cut so much of it because um, because I think the only real important thing to part two is that they unearthed that monolith on the moon, you know, like, like, like Chris, you're saying all these monkeys and stuff aren't important. That guy, that Dr. Haywood, he's not even really that important. Cause like he, he comes back in part three when he, ex- you know, when they disassemble Hal and, and he explains, what the mission was to Jupiter. Like he's saying we unearthed this thing on the moon, but like to me, that was the most important part. And all the, all the like space and food and all that other stuff was like, 
just it sort of took a long time. The the other th- <laughs> the other thing that like kind of cracked me up is like how much Kubrick nailed some of the like some of where technology was going. But then oh, like I have things to say about that. But then he didn't get the like he it, it was like he he nailed the technology aspect, but not like the sensibility behind it, right? Like, like that that Doctor Haywood goes into that uh, like let's call it a phone booth for all intents and purposes, and has uh, let's let's just be straight up about it. He has a Zoom call with his daughter, right? Like that's a Zoom call. He's got the camera there, you know everything. So like he like he could predict Zoom calls, but like not that. It like he still envisioned it like a phone booth, not that we would like that we he didn't envision that we would have like personal devices that would do this, you know. And then mm-hmm. the other thing I thought about is like he goes to the moon, I guess it was the moon, yeah, he goes to the moon to give this like to give this like conference or whatever. Like that totally could have been a Zoom call. Like just Zoom with them <laughs> people on the moon, you know. <laughs> we have Zoom, we've established we have Zoom. I was actually uh, really impressed in a couple of the a couple of those ways too about the technology. Um, he uh, there's a couple of scenes where there are screens that they're watching, like the first one where he's on the ship heading out, I think, to the moon or whatever, uh, where they're watching in widescreen, mm. which is fascinating because no one did that. No one did that like ever. Now there were also a bunch of scenes where the screens were not, um, they weren't. Um, they were what the sixteen, uh, no, thirteen by thirty-one, right? They weren't they weren't that standard size. They were like squares or weird rectangles. But like there were a handful that were just straight up widescreens, and I thought that was incredibly cool. Um, but yeah, then again, like they did things like they specified his Christian name. Uh, there mm-hmm. was like the the casual misogyny of the sixties, and right. you know the the these things happen, but uh. Like the the kid wants a telephone, right. <laughs> things like that. But it was a it was a fascinating take. Like I was, I was so into the beginning of this movie, um, just from the uh, j- just from the visuals of it. Like we the version that we had on the Plex was all cleaned up, right? But most movies from this time, even cleaned up, even Star Wars doesn't look this good cleaned up. Like these sets are impeccable. Mm. Nothing looks like it was built from some random plastic shit they had laying around. Like this movie was just so impeccably made. It's just that it was so the pacing was so off because like the world that they created was really interesting. And I I would really like to know more about not just this book, but also what 2010 is like, because I never saw 2001 when I was a kid, but when I was a kid, I had the, the record, the audio record, like the book, for 2010 which is the sequel to this so i have like in my brain this like niggling sense of like kind of what was going on but also knowing that the the characters of hal and the dude who got old or whatever they reappear in future stories so like maybe that was part of what influenced me to to just assume that the monolith is what made hal go haywire to begin with because knowing that there's more to their those characters' stories, like the author of this wrote other books that follow this. Um, I've lost my train of thought. It's completely left the station. <laughs> this movie broke me, man. I really wanted to like 
I really wanted to like it, and I just kept getting so angry at these just obnoxious things that it was doing because it didn't need to be this long. And if it was, and if it was even an hour shorter, it would have been a really interesting because there's there's cool stuff happening here, right? This is underneath all of that. There's definitely I would love to do the experiment of just seeing like, what if I just edited edited this movie down? Has somebody done that where they've just been like? Okay, this scene has made its point and cut it out. How much that cuts out from the movie? Because I have to assume that there's at least a solid hour of this movie that could be removed from, like, the the intermission and all the scenes that have done, like, you've now proven your point. You've now proven it really well. It's time to stop. And then it keeps going for another 30 or 40 seconds. Like, I think you could, just, you could do th- that over and over again. I think that second part that I just mentioned could have been like that, right? Like... Like I w- like I said, I wouldn't have cut the space ballet with the with the ships and stuff. Like that seems like a spectacle. But then, yeah, like uh, the, like I think maybe just combine the two ideas. That conference could have been a Zoom call, and then they go out to the moon. You know, like there was just there was yeah, like they did the space ballet, but they did it. But then they kept doing it. Like they, every <laughs> single sh- scene of a spaceship yeah. was like. You did this already, which was really cool that one time, but now it's like, I, I can't even imagine seeing this back then. Of course, I can't imagine being back then. It's just a, a different mindset entirely. But like at a certain point, like no, no matter what it is, something's things will stop feeling new if you just keep doing them over and over again. And that was my biggest problem besides the end, which was just complete and utter bullshit. <laughs> so. The. Uh, the first, uh, whatever we're saying, two thirds or three quarters, you're probably right that it could be edited down because there is a narrative and they're, they're definitely telling a story. Um, the, I think that last third and parts of that are by modern sensibilities. And if you're concerned about telling a narrative, parts of the, uh, the last third or last quarter, however we're breaking this up. I, I feel like, I feel like it was four distinct parts. I, Cause yeah. be- okay. before the intermission, there was the, the dawn of man. And then the, I don't know, the second part with Dr. Trip Haywood, to the moon. trip to right. the moon, whatever. Hey. Yeah. And then after the intermission, it was the how story, the how story. And then the, the monolith trippy sequence, you know. Okay, so that, so that fourth one, I think you couldn't edit that down. Well, you, you might be right on the first three because they're telling a narrative. Especially that third one is a specific narrative, and it's the it's it's the probably the most digestible, but also the probably the most compelling um, narrative of the of the four. But the the fourth one, I think all of that, and and Chris. It, the first time I watched this, I felt exactly like you do now. I was frustrated at the the lack of editing, and I was pissed off about the ending, because I did really like all the concepts they brought up in the first three, and I hated the conclusion. And every time I watch this movie, I that that feeling has... It just quells a little bit more each time. And watching it with you this time, I, I kind of re... Uh, as we watched the first half together, I kind of re-remembered how upset I was with the pacing the first time I watched it, but it, it didn't come back. I'm not. I'm not as frustrated, and I, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not a Kubrick uh, 
supporter. I, I wasn't a big fan of Clockwork Orange either. I do love uh, The Shining, other than the end, and I do love uh, 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 How I Learned to Love the Bomb, uh, Doctor Strangelove. Mm-hmm. Um, so I do love some of his stuff. Full Metal Jacket, it was fine. I don't know. I think it's overrated, but it's fine. Um, so I like some of his stuff. I don't like other of his stuff. This, every time I watch it, I'm less frustrated by it, and I still enjoy the parts I enjoyed in the beginning. And I think that last section is purposely the 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 sequence where, like, every now and then his face pops up in a distorted fashion, but then they'll play, like, a bunch of the lights for, like, again, what feels like way too long, 60 seconds, and then you get that weird flash of his face being distorted. Um, and then the whole end sequence with him aging, I think it's... A, and I hate doing this because I, I don't like interpretive art, you know, like I, I'm with you. I usually just want just tell me the story. Just what what is happening? I don't want to interpret it, uh, but I don't know. I, more and more, I, I every time I watch this, I'm like, no, I get it. We can't possibly conceive a, 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 an alien race uh, that's this far ahead of us. We can't conceive it. Right. We never see the aliens. Right. They're not conceivable right? What they would show us is unconceivable. So I think he's literally just trying to put us in the mindset of the, the astronaut that we're following here, Hal, or not Hal, um, Dave. Dave. Uh, he's trying to put us in the mindset of Dave where it's like, this doesn't make any sense. There's no narrative. It's uncomfortable. It's awkward. Why won't someone tell me what's going on? Because Dave doesn't get it. He, you know, he's he's shocked when he 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 looks around the corner and there's a person there, and then it's him old. But then that doesn't make any sense either because now it's just him. Like you know, we've jumped into that persona, right? It's like time's folding on itself or whatever. He's he's purposely trying to make us frustrated or awkward or confused. So you might be right. Maybe you could edit down the first three quarters. Uh, the first three parts and still get your narrative across. But I think that fourth part's not really supposed to have a narrative. And usually, like I said, that frustrates me and I don't, I don't care for that crap. Um, but this is, I don't know. Every time I watch this, I'm like, no, maybe it's all right in this situation. Maybe it's, he's, he's telling a narrative that can only be told uh, with, without a narrative by, by, by frustrating. Hmm. Well, that's the, I think that's where, where I'm going to differ with you there is that I think he got that point across. I mean, how long was that segment at the end? With him being aging? That, yeah, that whole screensaver situation at the end. Oh, because that's the what it was. It was long. It was a fucking screensaver. And, and it, 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 congratulations, you invented the screensaver. <laughs> he did. He did invent the screensaver. So, uh, can, I, um, can I say two things about this? So, yeah, so, please so, do. I'm looking up the actual length of that sequence. It, it, was, it was at least 30 or 40 minutes. And I know that because <laughs> I have such a, a vivid memory of the... You know, from from watching it in high school, the part where they they decommission Hal, the part where he goes in and pulls the memory chips, that I felt like in my memory that was almost the end of the movie. And I guess story wise, it kind of is almost the end of the movie because a lot of what happens after that is just the sound and light show. Um, but like 
when that happened, I was like, oh, it must be almost over. And then I looked, you know, I looked at the, the thing and it, there was at least 30 or 40 minutes left. So, um, yeah, that, that part was like 30 plus. Also, we keep ragging on this screensaver thing. Like, and, and it is like, it's a glorified screensaver, but like that technology didn't exist then. Like he had to, like, it was some kind of crazy thing where he like, made a slit in something and you put colorful like magazine clippings and all kinds of colorful things behind it and you moved it back and forth like you know like like again like now we can do it with computers in like 10 seconds but like you know this i think when this came out was kind of a a cinematic marvel this you know this light show that happened at the end like now it kind of feels like a planetarium show like get you know get high and go go to the planetarium so i'm sure that it was if that's the only reason for it that i'm going to side with chris and I, and i get why you do that with new technology but um there there if that's the only purpose if it wasn't to confuse and frustrate and and break the narrative which i'm giving it credit for doing uh if it's just to show off your cool special effects and I'm going to side with Chris. He could have shortened this up a bit because there's lots of modern movies that do that. I feel like Avatar did that at times. They were like, look at this great special effect new world we created. And I was just like, I don't care that much. Like, um, I think Jurassic Park did an amazing job of not getting carried away with that. They they nailed the fact that they were like, this is impressive. And they gave you those moments of like when the, the you know, the Brontosaurus, Brachiosaurus, whatever the hell it is. You know, when they first see that, you're like, this is impressive. But they didn't just sit there and show you the Brachiosaurus for six minutes. You know, it was like 20 or 30 seconds. You saw the reaction of the people. You were blown away. This is impressive. They moved on. Yeah. Right. But, but the T-Rex's eye, you know, like they didn't sit there for a half hour while he blanked. Blank, blinked, did, blinked it at the kids. But you know, they did it and they moved on. But we're frustrated with it because we have a context for it with everything else that we've watched: Jurassic Park, Star Wars, whatever. Like, you know, like, like, I, I think, I think because of this movie, we can, we can have those. <laughs> like, we can be critical of it now because we've seen how how one can do it differently. Do you know what I'm saying? Like at this point, you know, like I think it can be both things. I think he can be trying to confuse and annoy and, you know, and, and take you on this journey and also do this spectacle of filmmaking, you know, like I, I think it's both things. And I think the only reason we could be critical of it now is because we have context. Right. The light show was about 10 minutes long. That's it could have been five. Yeah. Okay. All right. Point like, take. Sure. That, that's the problem. <laughs> All right. Ten solid minutes <laughs> of the same thing. And like, yeah, it was really impressive. And it was super weird and effective. Like, especially that first part where you're talking about the slit and then like the weird, like computery things start flying towards the camera. Like that was really cool effect. And, and then, like, you the had... The first time you saw his face, come on, they had lulled you into a false sense of security. You're two... I don't know how far in. You're two and a half minutes into the light show, mm-hmm. and all of a sudden, there's that two-second clip, right? Not even yeah, two little, seconds. the flashes of his face, and Being then, like, like, the Arr. close-up of the eye. Like, right. I knew that the eye was going to start changing colors on the blink because of The Simpsons, but that was the only one of those that was necessary. Like, they kept showing the eye blink 
like, like it just kept going and going and going. Like you could, I feel like it would have been so much more effective if it had been reined in because it was like, yeah, this stuff's impressive, but it stopped being impressive five minutes ago when you're still going. Like, get to the point. Get to what. Get get to the actual meaning of something. You know, do something with this useful instead of just being like. Well, we shot it. Let's use all of it. <laughs> it was that's what that's what I find frustrating about this movie is that it was so almost really cool, and it just kept getting it just kept tripping over its own dick. It was driving me crazy. And you do also run into that problem of when it, when assessing a movie, right? Uh, like you look at something like Citizen Kane, right? And I know that's the the stereotypical go to thing, right? And I remember when they showed us that in film class, I like I got it. I got that. Okay, here are a lot of things that other movies stole, and like they did it first here, and it's effective, right? And all these, you know, uh, you know, it's a a master class in how to make a movie. But everybody's taken that shit. And for the last 50 years, run off the edge of the earth with it and done it better and done it different and done it more creatively. And and now I don't enjoy Citizen Kane. Like, I don't enjoy that movie. It's it's not enjoyable. It's super important. I get why it's super important. Everybody is, you know, again, learn from it. We're standing on the shoulders of giants. But if you're standing on the shoulders of giants, you're taller. Right. I mean, yeah, but I'm taller. And that's. <laughs> All that matters, as Counter Reeves has taught us. So, like, while they did do a lot in this movie that progressed all this stuff, if that's all they did is progress everything, if if that's all this movie has at this point, then it's not worth watching, right? Because other people have taken those those film techniques and, and and done them better. But I I can genuinely say I enjoy this film every time I watch it. Now and again, the first time I watched it, I didn't. I did not. I was just. I was a little annoyed by the the pacing in the beginning, and I was pissed off about the end. But at this point, I actually enjoy this movie, not just because it's, you know, created uh, techniques and and concepts that other people have used better, which it has, um, but because I enjoy the movie itself. The story of the end, I just need to clarify, the story of the ending does not piss me off. Um, It's that, the, the... the, the screensaver, the kaleidoscope, that's what pisses me off. Like, the story of the ending is really freaking weird, and I don't, I can't say that I understand the space baby or whatever happened there at the end, but it was really interesting to watch. Like, that scene, it looked like he was seeing a different person, right? But then that person kept being him. And, like, I, that was just really interesting, but again, it just took so goddamn long. It's like, Okay, I get it. He's him. What's what's going to happen next? And then I had to wait like five minutes for the. It's like they kept trying to tell me those the revelations. Like, okay, here's the revelation. That's him. And like, so it got us to here. But then, like, okay, I've made the revelation. And then he continues to be him and does nothing for like five more minutes. Like, <laughs> I, I get it. We go, go on. We've ta- <laughs> You've made your point. Keep going. We've talked a lot so cool, like- about the beginning, like the part one, two, and four of this movie. I, I kind of want to talk a little bit about Hal because I definitely want to talk about Hal. I think Hal's the coolest to, part. The, the the point that I thought was really cool was like, 
I just wanted to really, really remark that I loved that shot in the in the last one. That's when it finally clicked to me, like kind of what was happening with him aging of like when he looked over at the bed and like it panned over and like he wasn't there in the background anymore. I thought that was really well put together. It just pissed me off how long it took to get to those individual shots. But yes, that bit with Hal is genuinely riveting. It could have been its own movie. Yeah, it, totally. It could have been. Yeah. Parts of oddly, parts of that felt a little rushed. The murder of the the murder of the astronaut. <laughs> right? It was it was abrupt. And, and maybe like, it was supposed to be, but I, I would have taken a little more there. I kept watching that that scene where he's flat, floating through space and I was like is he dead? Like did he did he cap that that cord at some point? Like I couldn't tell for sure that he was dead. And then like even when even when the the thing's holding him, right? And he's trying to get into the door and then he like he eventually just jettisons the body. I was like all right, so he was definitely dead. Is he going to do this? Like I, I'm like I was actually like really invested at that point. Like, how's he going to get into the ship? Is he going to try to survive the vacuum of space long enough to close the door? Like, I was so freaking cool. Like that was really great. I was so into it at that point because all that stuff, even the stuff that took so long in that particular point of like those those single shots because I had something to think about. I had something to really ponder as as to what was going on and what was going to be ultimately what was the, the the point of Hal and and this story like where's this going who's alive who's dead there are actual stakes happening instead of just this weird colorful think piece i i really liked that part of the movie i was and i was surprised because i was so bored by the first chunk of it that i fell asleep twice and then like i started again i'm like ah oh, not this shit again and then at just like a light switch i sat up and I was really genuinely interested in what was happening. So like there's something here. There really is. And I don't think that when it was made is enough of an excuse for the mistakes that it makes because science fiction existed before this movie and those things had didn't have these pacing issues. Planet of the Apes does not have this movie's pacing issues. Like its age is not an excuse for what I think is just genuinely bad filmmaking. Like you had a story to tell and you did some stuff really well, but the, the you just failed the basics so spectacularly that it's incredibly frustrating to watch because of how interesting what was underneath it was. I, That's I mean, my tirade. I mean, I think, I think your complaint is about the the pace and the editing. Like I think that I think that yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I mean that is that is 100% my complaint. Yeah. yeah. I'll take all the weird shit. Like, so I, so, I, so one of the things about part 3 about Hal um the Hal section that made me feel like that made me feel like that really should have been focused on and been the bread and butter and that the the part 2 stuff went on like the mundane stuff went on a little too long. I think some of the way it was done in, in part three did it better. Um, and, and, but I guess like some of this is a thing that like Kubrick couldn't have known, like he couldn't have known how, how we, a modern audience would look at it. Right. Because like, Chris, you brought up all the, all the screens, all the wide screens and, you know, and everything like that. I was, I kind of took interest to in the fact that like he it seemed like he predicted 
flat screens. You know what I mean? Like he embedded those mm-hmm. screens in walls and seats and stuff like that. Where yeah, a lot of sci-fi didn't do that. They were still like looking at tubes. Yeah, and like thick it, screens. Yeah, and stuff. like in stuff like Alien, it's evident that it's a, a CRT. You know, and like with this, it kind of looked like flat screens, right? And like I was kind of blown away by the scene. I mean, again, it was another just mundane thing. It was on. It was Dave and the other the other guy that was thought out on the ship, eaten, and they're they're watching a newscast, and they're essentially watching it on like it's on the ship, and then it's also on like iPads. There's like two like you know like I guess they were screens built into the table, but it looks like two tablets that are on the table, and I was like. I was like, Gee, like this is two guys in space, but geez, if this isn't predicting the future, like two roommates sitting around watching the same goddamn thing on different iPads, eating food <laughs> together. I was like, I, I like that blew me away. It was like, it was like predicting the future, you know? Um, yeah. The other, like, I guess some of the spectacle stuff that we talked about in part two, I was, I was just, just as blown away with the, big cylinder that he was running in 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 part three where he oh where he was waking up or or checking on the 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 sleeping guys and like he would walk around and like the whole set moved around and like i'm sitting there looking at like okay but how are the people in the pod staying still yeah that shit was amazing well and obviously (laughs) there was a there was a cut when he passed the middle of that cylinder but like you couldn't see it, and you couldn't really tell how the thing was moving. Like I missed it. Oh, I didn't see oh, the cut. I, I missed it. I think they built a giant rotating set. Right. That's what I just assumed. It was a big set that kept rotating. And I'm like, but those look like were they dummies in there? Because they didn't look like dummies. They looked like there were people sitting in there. And how did they strap them in so they didn't like move around at all when the whole set was moving around. I, I, I thought I was awesome. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it was a cool shot. I'm pretty sure they built a giant rotating set. I'm not sure how they kept the people still or if they were dummies or how they did that. Chris, you brought up the, um, like, when he when he gets blasted into the airlock and, you know, and then he has to, to real quick close the door, like, and how it looked so realistic. I, I So I looked that up. Apparently, yeah, how did they do that shot? All right, so listen, right? Apparently, it was a it was a drop. The camera, you know, like the the thing, the the thing was uh, vertical, facing downward, and the guy was on a ledge. Um, you know, like imagine where the pod is. He's he's up on a ledge, and this hallway is like vertically down, and the camera is all the way at the end of it. So. They had they had a guy with a rope, and they were supposed to drop him down. And the guy with the rope was supposed to pull it tight, you know, before he he hit the, you know, before he hit the ground. And I guess there was like an issue, and he actually hit the ground. So it, it looked oh, violent geez. because it was violent. They like you know they dropped him vertically instead of sucked him horizontally. Well, that was super effective. I thought that was so. I was that, that was another one of those parts. Is like shit did he just die and i kept thinking to myself like do i know any other scenes with the two of these characters in it like d- d- and then i kind of convinced myself like no they're not going to kill him here because i know he's st- he lives past this point but like i was that was that was awesome 
I, Great scene. I was also just blown away by Hal. Like, like, and I, I, again, I feel like now the it's line become delivery too. Yeah, it's it, now it's become like a part of pop culture. It's become a part of like Americana. It's become a part of you know just just like human consciousness. But like, like, sort of erasing what you know about Hal and just watching the movie and looking at it from like a fresh perspective. Like I was his voice was so awesome like so well you know that was so well delivered and he was so well cast and then the like sort of the dead red glow eye thing was was very you know was very uh effective i think in creating Mm -hmm. what this was and then I also loved the camera shots from Hal's perspective that he's like fisheye lens camera shot things like that that blew me away um you know and like th- and this is a common filmmaking tool but like just picking the shots apart I was like oh that's so cool um and then uh yeah I don't know and other th- and other things <laughs> <laughs> the way he read lips that was cool yeah, I didn't see that coming. Uh, that that he read the lips. I I also I was definitely slightly afraid that um, what's it the uh, like the the red light just everything about Hal was going to be slightly less effective because of you know everything I know about it is is jokes, but it was a hundred percent effective. It was it, every time they would do those close up shots of like, it's just a slow, slow zoom in on that red light, or even just a still shot of that red light. You can just see it. That thing is thinking like, what is it thinking? And I kept drawing these parallels. Like what I found really illuminating about that whole entire section was just the, uh, the parallels to the game portal and uh the character of Gladys and you know it's obviously considerably more uh comedic but also just there's the thing that made Portal so effective to me was that even though Gladys was this sort of comedic character it could turn on a dime of just the sheer terror of that glowing eye you know like no this is an actual threat no matter how goofy it might seem this is a legitimate terrifying threat um and this was obviously nowhere near as, as silly as Portal, but it was you know, every every damn bit as effective as it uh, probably was back then. Like, the, everything with Hal, I just thought, from the way the actor handled the role, everything about it was just spot on. And, the, oh, God, the scene where he's like, that was, that really made me mad. The scene where he's taking him apart and Hal is, you know, saying, like, I feel it. I feel this happening. You're You're doing this to me. That was another one that went on just a little bit too long. I don't think he could you, you needed to cut it quite as much as the other things, but it did continue to drag on past the point of effectiveness. And that was another spot that made me mad because like that was going really well and being really effective, but they just kept hammering it too hard. They went just a bit overboard, but that whole thing with him taking him apart, that the whole march toward that too. Like his silent just determination to get where he needed to get and like the whole time thinking like is this anger is he hurt is he gonna is he dying right now like what what exactly is happening to this character who is trying to get rid of this computer that just murdered everybody uh it was it was a really fascinating scene that 
was unfortunately killed by the editing and pacing again. Because you're 100% right. That is my problem with this, is the editing and pacing. I think I don't that have any real scene did a real else. effective job of hu- not humanizing, but uh, but driving home the point that Hal's not just... And, and this is what made me start to think that, like, it was supposed to be a parallel to the monkeys killing people as their first instinct is life. That scene really did a great job of driving f- forward. You can kind of hear... Even though Hal's voice stays, uh, uh, you know, level the whole time until he starts slowing down right at the end because the computer's falling apart. But uh, his voice doesn't um, doesn't show anger or fear or anything like that. But you feel the fear in Hal. Like as Dave's marching closer, he starts like it's almost like he's going through the different stages of grief. At first, he's like bargaining. Then he's like trying to plead with him then he's like despairing then he's you know like he's he's saying this hurts wait don't do this please dave stop like it's it, he goes through these different stages and he it realizes makes it f- his helplessness that's another one that was like really weird because like you they tell you throughout the course of the movie this thing has control of everything right. and then all of a sudden he's helpless and he's pleading like you're 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 absolutely right that was that was really right cool. really drove that drove that home which made me think it was a living being which or maybe not living but like you know a conscious entity which made me think of it as as the monkeys it's the monkeys it's it's scared and it's afraid and it kills because it's at the first stage of evolution yeah <laughs> uh one interesting note about this that uh the uh i didn't know and then i was looking something up oh because i tried to find it online first before i went and got the dvd the uh, uh i didn't know this the arthur c clark is a famous uh, science fiction writer the guy who wrote it uh he wrote it at the same time this isn't a secret he wrote it at the same time that like him and kubrick worked on it together like it's not that there was a book and kubrick took the book and turned it into a movie it's the two of them sat down to make this together so, like, the movie clearly influenced the book, the book influenced the movie, but but they were both had a hand in that. That is interesting. I'm so curious what this book is and what the rest of this story is without Kubrick. Because, I, like I said, there's, I've said it, I've said it a bajillion times, I'm just reiterating myself, there's, there's, there's a really interesting core here that I wanted to like, and it just kept making me mad so there was another thing that i uh that struck me that i wrote down to ask you guys um because uh a couple times we have i guess we brought this up during the course of this conversation is like the impact that this movie had on culture and and things that came after it uh you know i mentioned that it there's a you know there's a, a reference to that dawn of man scene in the barbie movie um chris has brought up simpsons a couple of times like is there other 2001 parodies that you guys love or remember or want to star wars that 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 scene in the beginning of star wars oh god is it star wars or isn't it i think it's star wars i think it's the first one new hope where you see the uh the empire ship slowly come on to the screen yeah the star destroyer just Super long, yeah. That's just, I mean, that's a blatant, like, I don't think they were trying to hide it, but they were taking off on the 
when you first see the what's the ship called the Jupiter? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's the same shot. It's, a, it's definitely an homage to that completely. Right. But it's yeah. jo- like the most most of Star Wars. It's John Williams' score elevates that entire scene to a totally different level. Oh, I, I don't mean to take away anything from Star Wars. Paul's asking for references. I'm oh, like, yeah, that's, yeah. that's that's clearly they were like, this is great. Let's do that. Yeah, there's no. Yeah, that was definitely an influence. So I found an article with ten. 2001 Space Odyssey parodies. We've already talked about two of them, Barbie and The Simpsons. Um, But this doesn't have probably my two favorite parodies of this movie on it um, are absent from this list. So let me tell you the list and then I'll tell you my... So the the list is from Cracked. I guess I got to give credit where credit's due. Um, So (laughs) the first one on the list is uh, History of the World Part 1. Where they do the dawn of man, and, and instead of finding the bone, the cavemen are all jerking off. Oh, right, right. <laughs> <laughs> um, the next one is South Park, um, where where uh, Cartman becomes the Trapper Keeper 5000, and and uh, Kyle has to go in and pull his, his mainframe, and he's like, right. he, he, uh, you can't do this, Kyle. <laughs> um community did a uh they did a bit that i guess was was part four of this the um the the like psychedelic dream sequence at the end and like like joel McHale becomes chevy chase yeah 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 yeah. Mm. um then there's simpsons uh which we talked about um everything everywhere all at once does uh the dawn of man, but with the people that evolved with hot dog fingers and the, the hot <laughs> dog person like kills yeah. the ape without the hot dog hands. Um, uh, this one, I mean, this one's definitely a reference, but like, I think a less good than the other ones, uh, Zoolander where they, where they're like, the files are in the computer and they sort of act like apes and smash it. Um, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. clueless uh there's a the cell phone is it looks like the monolith and they do the the um you know they do the uh, uh um music gather around and touch it yeah yeah um and charlie and the chocolate factory the tim burton one has a monolith thing where the the they transport the chocolate bar into the TV and there's like apes in the TV, like the dawn of man and the chocolate bar is like the monolith. Um, Futurama has a couple of them uh, in this list, um, which we talked about Futurama a little bit, um, but none of these are my two favorite. Do you want to know what my two favorite are? Do either of you know? No. <laughs> Do you- I mean, I, I would like to guess that one of your two favorites is Mystery Science Theater 3000. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and I, after we finished uh, uh, 2001, I watched the beginning of the Mystery Science Theater movie today. And I like, I was like, my God, this is the best parody of this because it's like, it's I'm running in the hamster wheel. It's, I was thinking that exactly. Well, and this the satellite of love looks like a bone a little bit, yep. <laughs> and they're they're playing the they're playing classical music. It's not <laughs> it's not the same classical music, but they're playing like sort of that classical ballet music. And then yeah, he's running in the hamster wheel, and he's doing the same the boxing moves, the same yeah. boxing moves. And then Gypsy's eye looks like the howl. 
<laughs> and they like this like cold sterile look in Gypsy's face like she's the HAL 5000. Oh yeah, specifically in Mitchell. Um it's a, in in Mitchell where like she's the the two mad scientists or the you know, uh, uh Dr. Forrester and TV's Frank are going back and forth about how they're going to quote unquote kill Joel, but they're not actually talking about that. But like it keeps zooming in on that exact shot of just her eye, and it's like <laughs> that's like I, I never realized that before seeing seeing the movie. It's like oh shit, that's right. But every time the big mystery science theater of one for me is I can't remember exactly which episode it's in, um, but it's a Tom Servo's planetarium show where <laughs> he's singing da da da. Ta-da! He's seeing this every time that song came on in the movie. I'm just picturing Tom Servo with those like metal things on the outside of him, pretending to be a planetarium show, and then Crow saying, "Take me to Uranus." <laughs> Uranus is big and gassy. Is that true? <laughs> um, yeah, I think Mystery Science Theater is my favorite. But the other one that's not on this list is um, Airplane Two. Remember. Uh, there's the computer that's called Rock that's supposed to be like Hal, and it it uh like it I turns on the plane. Don't. Uh, I haven't seen Airplane Two in four. Yeah, it's been a hot minute since I've seen Airplane Two at all. Well, uh, another com- completely well, parody of that movie. <laughs> it's a with a with a sentient plane that that tries to kill people and everything. <laughs> well, I just looked up a list of uh you know 2001 references and one that I never got before. Um, is the video game Metal Gear Solid, uh, which is funny that the uh, the characters Snake and Otacon eventually reveal that their real names are Dave and Hal. Although, you know, I knew Otacon's name was Hal. He's introduced as Hal Emmerich. But regardless, uh, there's a uh, uh, when they learn each other's names are Dave and Hal, uh, Snake apparently says maybe we should take a trip to Jupiter together. Never got that reference before. Yeah, no, I didn't know that one. That's that's some deep cut Metal Gear Solid shit right there. <laughs> well, I'm done. Yeah, I'm good. You guys, you guys want to bring this podcast in under the runtime of the actual movie? Like, I mean, we could keep going for another 45 mm-hmm. minutes if you want. <laughs> Easy, you could talk about this forever and ever. That's the whole point, I think. Yeah, I'm good. The uh, my, my, I, I, I think Chris. I don't know where you're landing on this. I think we've got to be a little clear. I, I would say this is a watch. I, I. I Enjoy it more every time I watch it, so I'm giving it a thumbs up. I do understand your frustrations. They're not unwarranted, um, but I enjoy this movie. Yeah. It like- has definitely sparked a hell of a conversation, um, and the as we're having this conversation, I'm realizing the parts that I liked, I really did like. Uh, it's just an immensely frustrating movie. I wish that I could watch it in Fast Forward. Like... I want to watch this on a VHS tape so that as soon as a scene's done, I can very easily fast forward instead of streaming where it's like, all right, now I got to wait for the, 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 the buffering to catch up or whatever. Like there's just too much shit in here. But if you're really interested in, you know, the evolution of science fiction, it's, it's kind of a must watch. I don't regret watching it. Uh, I just wish I liked it more than I did because I don't overall like this movie very much. It just made me so mad. Yeah, I mean, I've said it before. It's a real mixed bag for me because it's it, it, it. I I can't deny that it was slow and hard to watch at points. Because, but I also I think I look at 
the way that it paved and how and things that still hold up about it. And there was certain things that just blew me away. So I, I think for me it's a watch, but you know, know know that you're gonna struggle with it. Like make a plan, you know. watch uh watch part one before dinner and part two after dinner and the other ones the next day. Like whatever you're gonna do, make a plan. But I think Watch it, it as episodes, yeah, yeah because I, I tell you what, I made it through Young Einstein and I made it through Zapped. This is the first movie that took me more than one viewing <laughs> to get through. And that is not high praise. Yeah. All right. It's a shit movie with a lot of good ideas. <laughs> All right. Uh, it's time for us to figure out what we're doing. We are officially back at the beginning of the alphabet. We're ready for the letter A. I have a bunch of choices, so why don't you guys go first? Do you, you want to go, Sean, or should I? I can go. Uh, I'm. God. I I always worry that it's like... I always worry that my pick is something you've both seen a hundred times, but I, I think we talked about this, and I think at least one of you hasn't seen it. So, I'm going to put forth The Abyss. Have you both seen The Abyss? I have seen it, yes. I know we've mentioned it on the podcast before. Chris doesn't have I seen s- The Abyss? And then more importantly, have you seen the director's cut? Oh, Definitely I'm, haven't seen the director's cut. I might have, I'm not sure. Yeah, maybe I have. So, uh, we've talked about this, this at least not. once or twice before. Uh, I grew up watching the the normal theatrical release. The normal theatrical release is like an hour and 30 minutes or whatever basic movie length. And it's great. And I loved it. And then, like, after having watched this movie a hundred times since I was 10 to the time I was like 20, when I was like 20, we got the theatrical, uh, the director's cut. It's like 40 minutes longer. So, it's like a two-hour movie. And... Like, 10 or 15 of the minutes in the theatrical cut aren't in it, which means there's, like, 50 minutes of different movie. And when you, once you watch the director's cut, you're like, they cut out the entire plot for the theatrical cut. Like, you watch the director's cut, and you're like, wait a second. You, you literally took out the entire plot of the movie and just gave me the character development and, like, an ending. And I loved it. The character development's great. The ending's great. But once you put the plot in, you're like, oh, this is a whole movie. It's the whole thing. So that that's my pick. I, I enjoy the hell out of the movie. It's been, it's probably been a couple years since I watched it, but uh, I know it pretty well. I know it holds up. Right. I, I know I love this movie. That's a that's that's a so, good that's a good pick. I, I specifically think, the director's cut or I would say God, if you've never seen it, it's almost fun to watch like I would almost say we could do the short one and then later on in life you can watch the other and be blown away. Because it seems like a whole movie when you watch the theatrical cut and then you watch the other and you're like, That wasn't a whole movie. I I got sold a lie. <laughs> But uh, we should probably just do the thea- uh, the directors. I don't know, whichever. I don't I, care. I'd be interested. If we vote on it, we'll figure it out. I'd be interested in the experiment. I th- I think I have seen the director's cut. I think that when this was introduced to me, it was when I was like in college and into films, and people were like, "Watch the director's cut." So I I I may have seen that, but um, yeah, it'd be interesting to check it out. Uh, so my pick is. My pick is a new movie or newer movie came out this summer. Um, You know, I think if this was a couple of years ago, this would be a cruel trick to play on you because like 
you know, I think it's it, it would it would be that time after it's left the theaters, but before you can like get it on DVD. Um, but now everything comes to streaming, streaming like a week after it's in the theater. So I don't really feel like it's that cruel a trick. Uh, my pick is going to be um, the Wes Anderson movie Asteroid City that was uh, that was just in the movie theaters. At the Shit, of the that summer. came out. Yep. Fuck, that was right around my birthday. I completely missed Asteroid that one. Asteroid City. I don't even remember this. I can't believe I neglected to go see that. I was meant to go try to see that around my birthday, and I completely didn't do it. Yeah, you I, know I hate Wes Anderson, right? We've I, talked. I, I, we have I, talked about this. I like him. I have a soft spot for him. I'd like to As see the movie. I. So I adore Wes list. Anderson movies. Part of part of me is like, shit. I need to do this because I don't. But I also don't want to put Sean through it because I know he doesn't like mm-hmm. Wes Anderson movies. No, but I, I should really watch this anyway. I keep wanting to like them. I keep wanting him to put out a movie that turns my opinion around because you know what he does do. He gets great actors to give great performances. Willem Dafoe in that uh, Life Aquatic movie. Oh my god. (laughs) I mean, painfully good. Painfully good what that man put up on the screen. And then I just don't like the movie as a whole, so I I keep hoping that me and Wes Anderson are going to see eye to eye, so maybe this is the time. Which ones have you seen? I saw Rushmore, and I love Bill Murray, and he's got a couple moments in it that are great, but in large part I don't like that movie. Uh, Life Aquatic, again, Bill Murray's pretty good in it. Willem Dafoe's amazing in it, but I don't like the movie. Um, that might be the only, what else he did? Tannenbaum's, I don't think I actually saw Tannenbaum's. I've seen bits and pieces, but I haven't given that one a fair shake, so I'm not going to count that one against him. Um, what else did he do? He's done some animated ones. The Fantastic Mr. Fox and Isle of Dogs. Uh, I didn't. I didn't see those. So, so. I like Dial of Dogs. Okay, but Fantastic Mr. Fox is one of my favorite oh, movies man. ever. I took. I felt so bad. I like. I took Nate to see Isle of Dogs when he was like real little. I was like, oh, it'll be fun. It's a kids' movie. But they, they make a point of being like the 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 everyone speaks in their native language. So the people that speak Japanese speak Japanese, and it's not translated. And so you understand what they're saying because a character that speaks English will either interpret or respond appropriately. And then they say the dog speak in barks and that's been translated to English. So like if you're a kid who, you know, I, I like, I think if you're an older kid, you can follow what's happening, but like, Nate wanted so badly to like it and to like to be like, yeah, Dad, I liked it, and he was like, he had such a hard time following that movie. I felt so bad. Um, yeah, I remember Karen and I watching and be like, I don't think our kids are going to get anything out of this. Yeah, <laughs> let's let's just not do that one. Uh, Sean, it, it you should watch Tannenbaum's and you should watch Grand Budapest Hotel. If you don't like those, then you won't like any of his stuff. All right, all right, I give him a try. Everybody loved Rushmore so much, and I, I, I tried. I went to the theater and saw it, and I wasn't blown away. And then everybody loved it, and I tried it again, and I was just like, "Nope, I, I just, I just didn't do it." And then Life Aquatic fell flat for me. Like it wasn't, I don't know, that one wasn't as terrible, but it just didn't do it. I loved Rushmore straight away, but the thing about Life Aquatic is, I remember thinking it was all right in the theaters, and then every subsequent time I watched it, I liked it more. Uh, to the point where I just eventually just completely fell in love with the movie, but it took me like several rewatches, which you know what worked for me in my life at the time where I could rewatch movies over and over again. 
Ah, shit. Alright, I got a whole bunch of A movies, and you guys didn't pick any of them, so... Yeah. This, doesn't, this doesn't help me at all. We just mentioned Airplane 2, which was a thought. Um... <laughs> I haven't seen it in a long time. Yeah, oh, man. same here. Can, I haven't seen it in forever. Can, can we really do 2001 A Space Odyssey followed by Airplane 2? <laughs> can we really do that? <laughs> See, like... I haven't seen Aquaman, and I was a big Aquaman fan as a kid, but, like, oh, I... I did see it. It's it's one of DC's better efforts. I I didn't like Aquaman. Aquaman. It was just, it was fish politics. Like, I talked before, <laughs> earlier about space politics. This was just underwater <laughs> politics. It was bad. It could have been, been better. It could have been better. I, again, for what DC's putting out, I think it's one of their better... Better works. But. That's what I've heard, and that's one of the reasons I haven't watched it. It's just like it doesn't really saying it cleared I'm, a low bar. Is yeah, it's I love not Aquaman, much of a and I want, I want so. Uh, Jason Momoa is not Aquaman. He's just not. I don't. I don't like him for that character. I like Jason Momoa, and I like whatever that character is that he's playing. But it's not Aquaman, and I'm just. That's why I never got around to seeing that movie. But I also never saw Amazing Spider-Man 2, which I heard wasn't very good, but it does have um, uh, Paul Giamatti as the rhino, which just sounds amazing to me. That was one of the worst parts. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't. I, I I didn't mind the Garfield Spider-Mans. They were okay. They they were better than the third friggin' Tobey Maguire one. That was a train wreck. Oh, that movie. Um, that movie hurts. But. I, I think the the Garfield ones are fine. They're they're both worth the watch. Yeah, that's the only one I haven't actually seen. And but uh, I think the mo I think the most important thing that I've never seen before in my life uh, is Adventures in Babysitting. So that's going to be my fault. Ooh. Oh, I've never right. seen it. But Paul saw that with with the kid. Yeah, Advent Adventures in Babysitting is great. Yeah, I saw that at the at the drive-in and uh, it followed by. Don't tell mom the babysitter's dead, and it's the same, same guy Kid. in in both movies that plays the brother. Yeah, yeah. And all I right, met him, and right. he's cool, and he signed a dish for me, and the dish says, "The dishes are done, man." <laughs> Do you put that dish in the dishwasher? <laughs> it's on display. That's what I like to hear. That's what I like to hear. I'm going to come to your house, and I'm going to eat off that dish. I'll come to your house and I'll cook with one of my life the dream spatulas. Red leader standing by. Oh no, I'm not ready. I'm I, not ready. I gotta figure out how to use my phone. I gotta figure out what I'm voting for. What's going on? <laughs> I'm ready. Oh, okay. All right. One, two, three, fight. <laughs> What's Astrid Oi? Duh. <laughs> asteroid, asteroid city. Okay, all yeah. right. Asteroid okay. city, it is. All right. So we're well. That makes me happy. Happy birthday to me. Uh, we're going to be watching Asteroid City, the Wes Anderson, newest Wes Anderson movie that I uh, can't believe I haven't watched yet. So there you have it. Uh, we're back at the beginning of the alphabet, and we already know that next month we're watching Big Trouble in Little China. So we're in we're in good shape here. <laughs> 
A theater near you is a part of the Geekade <laughs> Podcast Network, and if you'd like to get in touch with us to share your comments, movie suggestions, or whatever, you can send us an email at mail at geekade.com. We can also be found on most social media outlets and the official Geekade Discord server, all of which can be found in our show notes. If you'd like early access to this podcast and several others in the Geekade Podcast Network, check out the Geekade Patreon, link to in the show notes. It helps keep this show running week after week or month after month, and our site shiny and clean. Thanks for listening, everybody. Pre- now, please sit back for 25 minutes of kaleidoscope sounds. <laughs> afraid we can't do that, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see you next time in a theater near you. Bye!